that's being frictionless. It's mm-hmm. really being seamless and, and frictionless because that's that's now the expectation. Nobody has time for mistakes and mistakes uh, are becoming much more costly for restaurants. What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give and Ovation. Today, we are joined by Olga Lopategi, who is a Harvard Business School and Georgetown University Law Center grad with experience as the marketing manager for Pizza Hut, director of marketing for TGI Fridays, and now a consultant to help transform your loyalty and online ordering problems into streamlined revenue engines. Olga, I know you have got a lot on your plate, and so I'm so grateful that you took some time uh, to to join us hey, today. Thank you. And I guess my first question is going to be: What is harder, HBS or Georgetown Law? What was more challenging? Uh, Georgetown Law was worse. It was was way, it really? Way way worse. Is that because uh, you're more business minded, or is that just because it was it was a lot more? No, work? it was for me. It was a lot more work, and I was in the LLM program, so Master of Laws. Um, so I was trying to basically cram a JD three year degree into one year and take the bar exam right after that. Oh my so gosh! So that was that was a year where I think I went out once the entire year because I was basically <laughs> just in the library. Um, and from open to close. And then my English wasn't that great at the time. Um, so that wasn't helping either. Hey, so, it, it, yeah. is, it is Grazda Luce Cemoy Ruski. Way better yeah, than my Russian. <laughs> I've, I've had more practice over here. Yeah, yeah but, but both, both schools were fun, though, in, in their own ways. So let's let's dive into loyalty and online ordering. First of all, why did you pick those two things to help restaurants with? Well, you know, I, uh, I've been in the restaurant world for 15, 18 years now. Um, and my, my thing has always been data-driven decisions. And um, Whoa, you can't, marketing... you can't use that word in the restaurant space. Data, we, we don't allow that word around here. I know, it's not, it's not popular. <laughs> and you know, in my experience with the brands that I worked with, people I interacted with, there's just a lot, of, a lot of this, like, well, we think this is going to be successful. We think this is going to work. We think that's what we should do. And I've always been interested in, well, is that true? <laughs> How can you prove that it actually works? How do you know that what you're doing is the best thing to do? And so from there, my interest in loyalty programs developed. Mm-hmm. And loyalty programs are amazing in the sense of um, you can control and you can test and you can find the real answers to what is effective, how effective is it. So that's kind of how I landed in um, my interest in that space overall. And then from there, over time, it, it became from just an interest at work to a long-term full-time consulting gig for me. Well, I mean, you you have come highly recommended by numerous people and loved chatting with you at trade shows. And we've had great conversations. Um, so that's why I was you know thrilled to have you on this podcast. So to, to talk about, you know, I, I like to ask this question because we all make so many mistakes, but a lot of times we don't know their mistakes or we know their mistakes, but we have no clue how to fix it. 
What are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make with their loyalty, uh, with their loyalty? Let's start with loyalty, with their loyalty programs. Yeah, so with, with loyalty, the biggest mistake that I see is that people uh, start their loyalty programs with a certain structure that they think is going to work. And then they never look back as to whether it was the right, right decision or not. And then they never do um, anything with that loyalty program beyond the base structure. That's a great point. I see that all the time of these, because it takes so much work to get it set up. And you, because you don't have people on your loyalty program, you set it up with hypotheses, right? And you set it and forget it. And then sometimes it works out great, but very often it totally does not. So one of the good examples there is, you know, when you, when you set the program together in the beginning, you think, well, my average check is, I don't know, 12 bucks. So my average loyalty guest is going to come in and spend 12 bucks and I'm going to set up my reward structure based on that assumption. They come and I think they're going to come in three times a year and they're going to be spending 12 bucks. Well, turns out a year later, that's not what they're doing. Your loyalty members may be coming in and spending seven bucks and they may, they may be coming in every two months. Mm-hmm. And your reward structure may not be suitable you know, for that type of user behavior. Well, the majority of your loyalty guests do not necessarily behave exactly the same as all of your guests combined. And so if you're not incentivizing them for appropriate frequency of visit, or you're not encouraging incremental spend with your program, you may end up with a program that is really just discounting existing users and not generating enough um, enough incremental revenue, or it's just not effective enough, right? You think the frequency of visit is going to be um, three times a quarter, and it's really three times a year. You got to change something, but it's it's very rare that loyalty program managers uh, go back and look and say, you know what, this structure doesn't really work for us. It did not turn out as expected, and there's there's no shame in that, right? You don't know until you launch it. You don't know what they're gonna do. And and what what are some of the metrics that you would look at to say this is working or it's not working? If you if you go in to to start off. Your first 30-minute meeting with the, with the company, what loyalty data do you want to see? So I, I want to look at the average check for loyalty first. So average check and average frequency for the loyalty guests, and there are a couple different ways you could look at it. But then the next thing that I like to look at is the, the, the spent cohort analysis. So I want to look and see within 100 of your loyalty users, how many of them are spending under five bucks, how many of them are spending between five and 10, how many are spending between 10 and 15 and so on. And those brackets may be different depending on whatever check the guests have. Because sometimes your average is very deceiving. So you may have a high average check, but the majority of the users are actually in the low and then you have some very high spenders. Let's say your catering is part of your loyalty program. And that's basically offsets everything in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So your averages are very misleading. So first, I try to figure out are the averages true, are the averages misleading, and then from there you start thinking, well, for the guests that have those particular spend habits, what can I do to make the program more attractive for them? It's it reminds me of J.C. Penney when they had their big rebranding and they tried to do the whole pricing of fair and square. And what they did is they said, look, here's what we normally charge, and here's what the sales price is. So what we're going to do is we're going to take all of our sales pricing. We're going to stop doing big discount sales and we're going to go in the middle. And basically what that did was the people who were willing to spend more still spent, still bought that article of clothing, but they just spent less for it. Yep. And the mm-hmm. people who were the bargain shoppers, it ended up being too much for them to spend. 
And so it really hurt JCPenney because they they looked and they cared too much about the averages. And so that's why I think that your your importance, that cohort is so critical because JCPenney was serving two people, the people who wanted a good quality clothing, but just didn't want to spend as much as it being in Nordstrom and the bargain hunters. And, and by splitting the difference, they lost both. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the point. And when you're looking at the customer base, you will have people that are coming in um, and they don't need a discount. They will enjoy some kind of encouragement or a little, a little giveaway, but they really don't need to be discounted in order to come in. So if they're normally spending 15 bucks a pop, there is absolutely no reason to try and drag them in at 12 bucks a little bit sooner because there's no there's not much value to it. But then you may also have people that are spending 10 and you want you for those people giving them an offer at 12 might actually get them to spend 12 now. So but you don't want to give that $12 offer to a $15 customer. And I'm I'm obviously oversimplifying it, but that's that's the essence of segmentation. You're looking at the guest behavior over time and you're trying to understand what are the types of offers that are going to drive their behavior without unnecessarily discounting them. And it's a little bit different for every for every brand, but the, the, the general principle is the same. I think that's a great point. The, the whole concept of segmenting is something that could be really challenging. And especially in loyalty, you don't just want to segment by uh, frequency of visits, right? Because that frequency of visits is a good subset, but it's really about the ticket, the, the ticket and the average, that average ticket, because that will tell you more about why they're coming in. Um, and another thing that I've heard a lot about loyalty programs is looking at times of day. So if you have a cohort of people that always come in lunchtime, have some rewards or marketing that will get them to come in at dinner time with their family. Or if you only have people that come in Friday nights, see if you can get them in to come in on a, on a business lunch. So th- there's different types of cohorts, but I think that philosophy, um, of making sure you're looking at your database the right way and that you it's not one size fits all. Oh, no, absolutely not. And you know, the example you're giving was day part. So there are a couple of different philosophies there. One is, well, can you push people that come in on Tuesdays to also come in on, on the weekend or can you get them to change their behavior? What I find is that it's typically easier to get people to do what they're already doing more frequently and then to get mm. them to do something else. So if somebody constantly comes in on the weekends, I think you have a higher chance of getting them to come in one more weekend per year than to get them to come in on a Tuesday suddenly. Well, and so, you know what? You've got one more master's degree than me. So I'd, I'd take your opinion above mine. <laughs> <laughs> but we've tried, we've tried, we've tried both and, and many, other, many other things with many different brands. And sometimes you can shift some of those users. But it just in terms of how hard is it, you know, how hard is it to squeeze that additional additional visit or additional spend out of them? And then the ability that loyalty programs give you to um, essentially know exactly what those customers are buying is so important because in addition to figuring out, well, what is the spend threshold that's going to get them in? What is the offer threshold? You can also customize your messaging to them based on what they like. Mm-hmm. So if you know they always come in for salads, you probably want to lead your subject line with a salad that they like. So if you, they always come in for barbecue, you're probably not going to be leading with 
sandwiches, right? So you, you want it to be targeted as much as possible because when um, a subject line mentioning my favorite item at a certain restaurant comes across my email, I'm much more likely to open that email and look inside. Yeah. And so that's, that's really the whole idea behind it. Awesome. And what about online ordering? What are, what are some mistakes that you see restaurants making with online ordering? Yeah, online ordering uh, to to me, and I'm I'm not the biggest expert in the world in online ordering. I'm just dipping dipping my toes into it, and a lot of my customers are looking at how can we improve the process. So, but I'm so I'm learning as I go myself. So, but one thing that I have figured out, and I've helped a couple brands with, is um, making sure that your experience is as simple and as seamless as possible. Mm-hmm. And by that, my my threshold for a good online ordering menu is if I can order from my family in three traffic lights. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So if you can order for four people while being stopped at three traffic lights, they did a good job. Yeah. And that's what it really comes down to. You want, want it to be a very quick, very seamless, you're not going to make a mistake. So you um, sometimes people get caught in, well, what about giving them options? What about creating upsells? You're losing more people. Typically, you'll be losing. And as, as you're looking at the Google Analytics and you're looking at the cart events, you will see that people get lost in those options. And you're losing more people from the transaction altogether when they give them options that they don't want to look at because yeah. you know, yeah. traffic light has changed. If, if I am buying a burger, uh, I don't want to feel like I'm registering a website on GoDaddy, right? And yep. we, whenever you try to buy a domain on GoDaddy, it is like 15 pages of... Do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want this? Do you want that? And I get why they're doing that. Uh, but you got to realize that the value of me building a website versus buying a burger are very different. And the way that I think about it is um, if, if I need to, if I'm, if I'm deciding whether I want to wait in uh, a four car line at the drive-thru or place the online order, it should be as fast, right? That's kind of like my mental thinking of it. Uh, as a consumer personally, and, you know, I actually recently talked to David Revciancio, you know, you know, Revciancio. Mm-hmm. I'm not a- Yeah. He's great guy. I've worked with him now for, you know, all, over a year. Um, we've got lots of mutual customers together. And one of the things that, that we were talking about was how with restaurant technology, you are not competing. They consumers are not comparing your restaurant technology with the other restaurants' technology. They're comparing your restaurant technology with what else is already on their phone, which is DoorDash, which is Uber, which is Amazon, which is Google. These are the technologies that you're being compared against. And so it needs to be a frictionless experience for the guest. And if it's anything less than frictionless, you're losing money. And absolutely. And that's also where your loyalty programs with good apps come in, because they allow you to save your preferences and make sure that you're, if you order that particular complex burger every time, it's saved in your profile and it's a one-click transaction and it's super simple and super easy. And brands that are working with, with the right um, providers there are really, really fortunate because it's it's a much easier process than doing it yourself from scratch. Totally. Yeah. So uh, what do you think is the most important aspect of guest experience nowadays? Um, I think we just talked about it. It's being frictionless. It's mm-hmm. really being seamless and, and frictionless because that's, that's now the expectation. Nobody has time for mistakes and mistakes. 
are becoming much more costly for restaurants um, because the takeaway and delivery is taking over so much more of the restaurant business. And what used to be a minor mistake, well, I forgot to put in a dressing or I didn't didn't add this or that topping, when you're looking at it in the context of delivery or takeaway, that becomes a devastating mistake. <laughs> Uh -huh. um, because you cannot just fix those things very, very simply inside the restaurant. So to me, being frictionless, it's frictionless ordering experience, but also frictionless operational experience where everything you expect it to be in the, in the order is in the order. And you trust when you trust the brand that that's going to be, your order is going to be correct. Um, it increases your confidence and it increases your frequency. I, Olga, I love that because, you know, our mission at Ovation is to, enable businesses to measure, build, and maintain trust. Because yep. that trust is what truly builds loyalty. And it's, it, well, I will say it's a combination of trust and convenience, right? Where I, I may trust that uh, a place is going to be better than another, but I'm not going to drive 30 minutes to, to get a soda, right? So anyway, but I, I do think that that trust is really important in that. And that, and trust means meeting expectations. And not only the expectations that you set for your guests, but the expectations that are set for them by external forces and other technologies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and it's becoming truly what we used to call table stakes. Um, you just, you just absolutely have to deliver operationally. And if, if the operations don't deliver, there is absolutely nothing that loyalty program can do to save the brand. Yeah. I mean, looking at it right in the initial uh, table stakes a couple hundred years ago was you had food. Then table stakes was it was good food. Then table stakes became you need to have good food and service. And now we, after probably the last 70 years, we've added the third table stakes to a restaurant, which is technology. Prior, prior to COVID, technology was not table stakes. Now it is. It's like tech or die, baby. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And another piece I wanted to add on the online ordering and delivery, and I, I see so much of it that it just pains me, is uh, the uh, appropriate branding of the delivery delivery products. So what I most frequently see when I do ordering takeout is the plastic thank you bags, uh, the um, the white and the white containers that look like they could have come from anywhere. And I think the brands don't quite realize, particularly smaller brands, don't quite realize to what extent the customer is not fully aware where they're ordering from. <laughs> Yeah. So when the packaging is not distinctive and it's not memorable, yeah, it does have an extra cost to make it memorable. But um, I've had so many situations where I'll be like, yeah, yeah, that was that was excellent Indian. Where on earth did we order it from? And then you don't uh -huh. have enough investment um, in it to actually go back and look well on that date I ordered from that and that restaurant. And so you just go back and you start, even if you enjoyed the food and you enjoyed the experience, you just start looking anew because you just could not recall where on earth it came from. Well, so or, and like, I just ordered Mr. Beast Burger at Reef. Um, so I'm, I'm in Miami. I order through Reef. I get my Mr. Beast burger. And it is like, I mean, there is no doubt where that burger came from. The box screams Mr. Beast. The packaging is Mr. Beast. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the whole, the whole unboxing experience, I see that Mr. Beast logo like six times, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's something where it creates that affinity. Whereas if I pop open, you know, a generic styrofoam box, 
and I eat my Panda Express. Yep. But I mean, like with Panda, it's a little different, right? Because they have their actual logo embossed. There is on some it. some some level of branding in there, yeah. But otherwise, I'm like, I feel like I'm just eating Panda Express because that's like my my go to when I think of those white styrofoam boxes. So I think I think that's a great that's a great opportunity for us as restaurants to really brand ourselves, right? Really make sure that we're getting in front of the guest, and um, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't really cost that much more money. But there's a lot of value that goes into it of constantly seeing that that logo. Yeah. Now, as long as your food is good, if your food is not good, then please, not, by all means, use a generic box where they can forget where to leave yeah, a bad that review. Is, that, that is very, very true. So anything, Olga, that you've seen or tried successfully lately? Anything that I've seen or tried successfully, that's an uh, interesting question. What I've tried very successfully was one of one of my um, recent new clients is uh, it's a brand that has never done subject line testing for their emails. Oh, and um, I uh, I speak about the importance of subject line testing all the time, and it's really boring, but um, it it really makes a big difference because if you test your subject lines, you send a test three, four, five tests into the world with different subject lines, and it costs you very little to do that. And then they usually perform slightly differently, and then you send the best one out a few hours later, and um, you get a better better response to your emails. Your email marketing is the most effective way to reach the customers. It's the most cost-effective way to, to reach your, your customers. Mm-hmm. So... Increasing that open rate by 10%, that makes a huge, huge difference over time. And I see people not doing it enough. So we did a, li- a little experiment with this um, with this particular client and um, we threw in a bunch of subject lines provided by different people in the marketing department. And then um, one had a 9% open rate, one had a 13% open rate, one had a 14 and one had a 17 Oh, and wow. none of us would have ever guessed that the 17 would have been the winner. Um, but that's how it that's how it came out. Um, and you know, obviously, and just one test doesn't doesn't do very much, but you can almost double the open rates on your email by um, doing a little bit of testing up front. And I would highly recommend for anybody who has a database that is over like 50 or 100,000 members, absolutely do that because you're going to increase your effectiveness dramatically. Love that. Uh, cool. Well, Olga, who uh, who deserves innovation in the restaurant industry today? Uh, so I'm going to give innovation to uh, uh, to my one one of my clients uh, in uh, El Pollo Loco, uh-huh. uh, and I've been working with them for the last couple of years, and they've been doing a lot of really really cool stuff. But I think the coolest thing that they've done this year has nothing to do with loyalty. It's the Air Loco program. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh. Uh-uh. Um, Air Loco is like Google it. It's uh, the drone delivery program. Oh yes, 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 yes. Uh-huh. And it's so cool. It just like I wish it was here in Austin. I'm based in Austin. Um, it's just so cool to like bypass all the drama of traffic and just have um, a drone drop off your chicken straight in front of your house. And alone, cool. it's just so cool. And like, I wish there was more of that. And I think that with the air local, like all the branding is just phenomenal. It's like a little, little chicken airline. It's hilarious. And it's just so, so cool. That is pretty cool. Well, Olga, how do people find you or follow you? Um, you know, people don't really follow me because I'm not 
creating enough content to follow. So I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guilty of being a little bit under the radar. With all I'm trying hey, to the cobbler's the, kids, Olga. They're I'm always trying. the barefoot ones. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm trying hard to. But the, the easiest way to get a hold of me is LinkedIn. Just look me up on LinkedIn. There is nobody else with this last name. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, it is super easy. And, you know, shoot me a note and get in touch. And I'm always happy to just chat to people in the restaurant industry about any of their loyalty concerns, problems, aspirations, and just happy to connect. Oh, awesome. Well, Olga, for helping us understand that loyalty is more scientific than just a punch card and for letting me practice my Russian a little bit before the call. Today's ovation goes to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Given Ovation, Olga. <laughs> Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.